Welcome to the Physio Perspective Podcast. We are physical therapy students simplifying sports, injuries, and the human body. The purpose of this show is for those who are interested in different sports injuries, but don't necessarily know much about them. All right, let's just get right into it here. We got the the Jalen Brown injury first up on the docket. Um, For those who do not know, Jalen Brown is a small forward for the Boston Celtics. They've had some uh, unfortunate injuries. We've talked about Gordon Hayward this uh, semester so far, and then Kyrie Irving, I think he's out too right now. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but last week, Jalen Brown was going up for a dunk. He actually held onto the rim for a second too long, and his momentum from his jump swung the rest of his body forward as he was letting go of the rim. Uh, unfortunately, he came down and landed on his neck and slash head region, um, and as he landed, his arms and body went limp for a few seconds. Uh, as you guys, if you guys want to look at the play, go ahead. It's it's a little scary. Um, it's kind of like the Tom Savage play in a way that we talked about, almost like. Not not to the point of a seizing, but to a point of where like you could tell something was wrong neurologically. Right. Yeah, he kind of went up, held onto the rim too long, and his feet kept going, and then he let go and went on his back. Yeah, and then as scary as the injury was, he was actually able to walk off the court uh, with his own power after a few minutes. Um, he's been out for a few games, but will actually return soon this season. Uh, and then he's actually going through the league's concussion protocol as he was only diagnosed with a concussion. Very fortunate. Um, and then some would consider this really fortunate for as bad as the fall actually looked. Uh, and I know we discussed concussion protocol in the past, and we have some more concussion management information coming along in this podcast as well. Uh, Brown also had no structural damage from the fall either, which would have compromised the rehab process. Uh, so there's this quote here that I kind of want to talk about and just get Fernando's thoughts on. Um, so this is from a good article I was reading, but The quote is, there's a lot of buzz about treating head trauma in the sports world after the NFL routinely mistreats or doesn't treat concussion symptoms. The NBA's concussion protocol requires players to be completely symptom-free at rest before moving to the next step, where they have to show they can withstand physical exertion without symptoms coming back. Uh, So, Fernando, what are your thoughts about that? Should the NFL kind of modify their concussion protocol a little bit or yeah what are you thinking i think that's really straightforward and it, it makes sense it's almost like well obviously you'd want to be um, completely cleared of symptoms to be ready to go back to play it's almost like common sense at this right, point you would think so yeah and i mean i think all sports should take this i know even in baseball catchers get hit in the head you know it's like you eat the cobwebs and you're right back to it um it's really they need to be symptom free like you get hit in the head and then the brain starts swelling you need to have that recovery time that period of rest in order before you're ready to get back to play and i think all sports should take this on um really get the player out of the game and let them get rest um i know there's even been some talk about trying to test the athlete right after they get a concussion and sometimes that's not good because that's when they're the worst like they just got hit why would you try to re-aggravate the symptoms it's it's kind of like counter like counterproductive it's it's strange but um i think definitely all sports should take this on yeah and um the other thing too is like you know when you're putting a guy back out there who isn't symptom free the risk at that point far outweighs any reward that's possible there yeah spot on definitely um, so with that, let's let's go right into concussion management. Um, this is something we actually talked about yesterday in our Sports Medicine Journal Club. There are a few of us at UW-Madison who meet biweekly um, to talk about sports medicine and research and things along that line related to physical therapy. And we brought up an article one of our classmates did, um, and we're, we kind of want to dispel the myth of resting an athlete after concussion. Um, I know we just talked about that they do need rest, but this is like a short time period where they do need rest. So we're talking one to two days where they, they need rest. Um, and to 
return to play athletes, especially young athletes um, that who need more supervision and they aren't always the watch by athletic trainers and things like that, physicians, they need approval from a healthcare provider and ideally continued supervision by an athletic trainer during competition and practice in order to be returning to play. And that's not always happening. Um, it should be. Um, we previously thought that athletes who suffered a concussion need to rest their, until their symptoms completely subsided, and that not so not so much is the case anymore. Um, there's more of a, a graded activity progression that we want to apply to athletes to make sure they're ready to go back to sport after that one to two days of rest and recovery. Um, once that you know, once that time has passed, then we're going off of a symptoms-based exercise progression. Um, and this is important to know because uh, of the symptom-based approach, return to sport varies by the individual and may uh, take anywhere from days to weeks to months. So it's not like everybody's going to be the same. So it's, it's, it varies by the athlete and their symptoms. So the CDC released a five-step return to play progression. And this is for young athletes specifically. Um, first of all, we want to get them back to school. So that's, that's before step one. We want to make sure they get back to normal daily um, routine and get back to school and learning. But the first step with regards to activity and athletic uh, performance is make sure they have light aerobic activity. So this is five to ten minutes of exercise on a bike, walking, jogging, um, definitely not weightlifting yet. So this is step one. Step two is moderate activity. So getting the athlete to increase their heart rate and start light weightlifting if they have been weightlifting before. It's a little bit harder. Step three is heavy non-contact activity. So starting to get into sprinting, running, high-intensity bike, um, you know, normal weightlifting if they have been weightlifting, but not yet contact drills. Um, and then step four would be practice and full contact. So getting them back to their normal practice routine. And ideally, like I said before, this is under supervision of an athletic trainer. And then step five would obviously be back to competition. So they're ready, they're cleared of symptoms, and they're ready to go back to sport. Um, yeah, quick question about this. So ideally, do they want the the student or the student athlete to be symptom free before starting that first step of light aerobic activity? Or can you? Yeah, could they potentially be experiencing some symptoms still? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, actually, we we like the symptoms to be really low. So if there are symptoms, it, it, it might be okay as long as they're really low and you know, a light headache, but there's a certain graded like, if the symptoms get too high, then we need to back off and we need to uh, and I'll talk about this in a little bit. Um, like you need to step back from you're allowed to go from one step to the next, and they're also allowed to go backwards. So if you have the flare up in symptoms, up to five or six in pain, um, then you can go backwards um, and you know, kind of fail that step and go backwards. So yeah, good question. Yeah. Um, and then so this was a study by uh, Thomas et al. from the Medical College of Wisconsin. They showed that after five days of rest. Symptoms and symptom resolution in adolescent athletes was worse than one to two days of rest and graded activity intervention like we just talked about. So that goes to show you that you don't really just want to rest after a concussion. I know we're, we're starting to get past that. Um, it's starting to get more commonly known, but I don't think it's widespread known that, you know, you get a concussion, you, you don't want to just do nothing and then you think you're going to be ready to go back to play. It really should be activity-based, symptom-based return and progression. Um, back to their sport. Um, and one of my classmates described this as nothing we do in exercise-wise in clinic should make us worry about making the concussion worse. So really, if we start at that step one, a light aerobic activity, there's nothing that would make it worse per se. And if it does, then maybe they're not ready yet for that first step. Sure. So really, 
understanding where they're at, meeting them where they're at, and slowly returning on them to activity. So do you think that we're being a little almost too conservative when treating concussions? It's possible, but it's a fine balance, obviously. Like, um, if, if the symptoms rise during an activity, that is okay, but we have to, as therapists, and some people don't even realize this is in the scope of practice for physical therapy, um, we need to be that those healthcare providers that um, make sure the activity isn't intolerable. We need to constantly communicate with the athlete, see where they're at. Do you have a headache? Are you dizzy? Things like that. Um, keep checking in with them. So, and, and at the same time, we don't want to push our athletes too early, like I said, causing them to do too much too early after concussion, because that will set them back even further down the road. Um, and like I said, it's, it's also cool to just share that PTs do, ha- in fact, have a stake in concussion rehab. Um, I know that a lot of people wouldn't think that this was within our practice, but it absolutely is. And if you know of any concussion rehab specialists in your area, they're a great resource for you after a traumatic brain injury or a hit to head or anything like that. Yeah. So, I know yeah. it's crazy. We've dedicated a few episodes already to concussions and stuff, but this is such a, a you know a new field, an advancing field, that there's always something, something new to talk about, it seems. Yeah, it's very dynamic, and we're still learning a lot about the brain and injuries and how what's the best way to do things. And so, yeah, it's, it's yeah. fun. It's fun yeah. to learn about. So let's, let's get into Stephen Curry's ankle injury. Yeah, so we're kind of going to the opposite end of the body now. <laughs> Head to toes. <laughs> yeah, complete 180 turn here. Um, but Steph Curry rolled his ankle a few weeks ago after going up for a layup. Uh, the interesting thing here is that there really wasn't much contact on the play, but as Curry took a step, his ankle actually inverted on him, so it kind of went towards his other leg. Uh, that's the most common type of ankle injury. Um, and the reason why there's a lot of pain with ankle sprains is the fact that the ligaments holding that tower cruel joint together, or you know, the ankle joint itself, uh, those ligaments actually become overstretched. Um, and like I said before, inversion sprains are by far the most common, and the ligament damage is actually what determines the grade of the ankle sprain. Uh, and then Curry's actually had a long history of ankle issues. So Fernando, as someone who has a long history of ankle sprains like this, uh, what do you th- like, I guess, what do you think what the injury reoccurrence rate is, and why do we see certain individuals struggle more with injuries like this? That's a tough question, Brett. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good one, though. It's a though. loaded one. It's a good one. Classmate and I yesterday were talking about this for about 45 minutes. <laughs> Shout out Jesse, Jesse Kroll. Uh, I know he's probably going to listen to this podcast. Go um, Central Michigan. <laughs> um, we, we talked about this for a while, and it was we went back and forth, and we really challenged each other. And it was, it, we, did, we settled on a couple things, so... It's it's common. You see somebody sprain their ankle and they have instability and they they think they're ready to go back to play. They go and they sprain it again and it's just a cycle. Um, and this can happen with concussions too. It's like this cycle almost a lot of injuries. Um, and you know you, once you do have that sprain, you're almost structurally at a disadvantage where your ankle is more loose and lax. So you really have to pay attention to rehab and focus and do the best you can um, to really gain that proprioception and a little bit of strength plays into it and and really try to have that control and and motion um eversion so your outward motion of your ankle try to have that really, really good really well down and controlled um but yeah it's definitely a thing athletes struggle with i know people tape their ankles a lot and you know i mean at the same time you don't want to tape your ankles all the time because you're relying on the tape and you're never getting that proprioception and strength back in your ankle so it's like well, you need to tape your ankles if you're if their ligament is damaged, but at the same time, you need to be doing rehab. So it's yeah. like, yeah. And we were we were over at the American Center, a pretty new building in Madison here, and we were kind of 
for our lab for one of our classes and we were doing some dynamic warm-up exercises and the purpose of this is in theory is to kind of reduce injury rates and stuff like that and I kind of asked about you know would dynamic warm-ups help with preventing ankle injuries at all and honestly not really because of the structural issues and other things like that and unfortunately braces only go so far too right so. right yeah it's a, it's a good topic to talk about um but yeah yeah so uh that would be the show but we got some breaking news here first Uh-oh. kind of what are we uh, talking nfl we are talking nfl in march we're talking nfl we are oh we just can't get away <laughs> uh sources have confirmed that the green bay packers have actually made some off-season moves isn't that crazy wow it's been years <laughs> for those who do not know defensive lineman muhammad wilkerson who was formerly of the jets uh tight end jimmy graham who was from the seattle seahawks but before that he played for the new orleans saints and quarterback Deshaun Kaiser have all been acquired this offseason. Unfortunately, however, they had to make some room for these acquisitions, so Jordy Nelson has been cut. Oh, no. Breaks our hearts. Yep. Um, he was getting a little older, and it is tremendously difficult for a team to be paying three different wide receivers over $10 million each. you have any thoughts on these moves, Fernando? Do I have any <laughs> thoughts? Not really. <laughs> no. I'm ready for baseball season. <laughs> um, I, I think it's, it's kind of sad, obviously, as a Packers fan, um, but... It's a business. You gotta move on. Yeah. Just gotta cut the ties. Move on. Uh, hope for a better season next year. Um, I know some people were hoping that they would, you know, kind of restructure his contract and come yeah. back for less. But you know, yeah, money talks. I guess money talks. So. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I do have Jordy flakes still. Jordy um, flakes. Yeah. So they're like these frosted flakes with Jordy on the on the front. So maybe those will go up in value. Who yeah. knows? Maybe. Yeah. We'll see. But uh, yeah, that's the end of our podcast today. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks for listening, guys. Um, Catch us next time on the Physio Perspective. Take care.